0: Hi Michaela, how are you?
1: I'm very good, David,
0: how are you? I'm good, good. Uh, how are things there in Batumi?
1: Yeah, wonderful, it's uh, really surpassed my expectations. Um, hotel is great, the weather is great, the location is fantastic, the venue is probably the best that I've ever seen. Um, just, just minor issues with Wi-Fi at the venue, but apart from that, really good.
0: And you know, we, we hear you on Eurosport, but they rarely show you. Where are you actually sitting?
1: Uh, So I'm literally just behind the jury table. Uh, When when the decisions are being made, we actually get to see over the jury's shoulder uh, to see what decisions they're making as well. But we're pretty close to the platform um, and a fraction higher than what the jury is.
0: And speaking of the jury, what do you think of the officiating so far?
1: Um, I I think it's been very, very strict, uh, which is good. You know, the rules are there for a reason. Um, and, w- and we want to see those rules enforced. The challenge, as always, comes with making sure that the implementation of those rules is consistent. Uh, and I think with any sport, you're going to have some inconsistencies. Um, some some of the juries have been majorly strict on the oscillation rule, um, which, again, you know, they're following the rules, which is good. But then others have not been. So there's a little bit of inconsistency, but and uh, one or two lifts where, Um, maybe arms have been soft in terms of elbow lock, uh, have been failed when they're not really press out. So uh, it's been a little inconsistent, but on the whole, uh, pretty good.
0: Okay, nice. Yeah, I I heard you uh, talking about that a bit with some, you were a bit shocked that some of the lifts were given a red light, uh, usually by just, you know, one judge didn't fail the lift, but...
1: That's it. I'm normally um, I'm normally pretty sharp with with seeing press outs, and there's a difference between um, a visible press out, i.e., extension of the elbow, compared to catching the bar on soft arms. Now, soft arms means the arms haven't necessarily locked perfectly, but they haven't pressed out. So again, it's slightly down to interpretation of that. Um, you can't be. Yeah, it's it, it's been a, a bit of a challenge, but. Um, I'm pretty hot on, on catching lifters and I'll make the call before the referee's decision often. Um, but there have been one or two that have been taken me a bit by surprise.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and what do you think of the caliber of lifting? Now we've got these uh, new weight classes. So some lifters are going to go down. Some have come up. Uh, how, how do you feel about the lifting so far at the championships?
1: So far, it's been, it's been pretty good. There's There's a couple of things to consider here. One is the non-Olympic weight categories. so last night for example it was the women's 71 um, the standard was not as high uh, as some of the other groups that we've seen but I guess that's expected um, and on the whole we don't have any real runaway performers like we've seen in the past I think the standards on whole have gone up but the one or two that previously might have really excelled and not there and I think that's partly uh, due to the the anti-doping rule violations that have been put in place and and the sanctions that we've seen over the last year or so um, which is having a a knock-on effect.
0: Yeah I want to talk about that uh, a bit later uh, about the doping issue but sticking with this idea about um, weight classes um, you changed weight classes Um, how was that experience?
1: So I used to compete at 58, and I competed at 58 for many years, all the way up until I think it was the Athens 2004 Olympic Games, uh, and quite simply, I, I got fed up of cutting weight. My natural mm. body weight was around 65, um, and I ended up dropping down to 58, so I was losing around seven or eight kilos in body weight just to be able to compete, um, and that, that's a long time having to diet and, and be pretty grumpy, so... <laughs> so. Um, for, for everybody's sanity uh, i made the decision to move up and try and establish myself at 63 um, and i didn't really have to cut too much weight um, but pound for pound i was better as a 58 lifter um, mm. but the, the transition it just made it just made life a lot happier
0: yeah and i think that's important um th- that's another issue i wanted to talk about We we can talk about it now um You know, at this level, when you're getting to Europeans and Worlds and Olympics, um, I was just thinking of how uh, Rebecca Koha reacted to missing that last clean and jerk. Mm -hmm. And I think she, David, said during the cast, uh, television casting, that she said, I'm not happy. Uh, But but she's the champion. She's the winner.
1: (laughs) Um, It's it's a difficult one because the the people watching, um, the, the viewers want to see you know a happy reaction to somebody who's just won gold what we've got here and what we have often in weightlifting are lifters that come into these championships with personal expectations they want to surpass anything they've done before and if they don't achieve that then in their mind they failed and i actually had a chat with rebecca after the competition and I said yes you, you disappointed but you know keep smiling for the cameras because how <laughs> you come across on tv is also important um, and I think she took that on board but you know everybody's got their own personal goals to achieve and unless they achieve that you're not going to have a happy Um so so that's all it comes down to it's not that she's a miserable person in any way it's just that she hadn't achieved the the very high expectations that she placed on herself
0: Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned, you can see from her Instagram post, I mean, how hard she works. I mean, all all aspects of fitness. Um, So when you're that dedicated, I mean, you do expect to get the results. For you, what was most important? Performing well, um, feeling good, or trying to get the medals?
1: Performing well and feeling good. Because ultimately, if I could do that, then the medals would be there or the positions would be there. Uh, I think it comes down to focusing on the process uh, of getting there than the the overall outcome. So for me, I I never worried about medals. For me, it was about keeping one or two technical things together. And if I could do that, then I know I could lift the weight. And if I could lift the weight, that should then have a knock-on effect in terms of rankings. So I guess for me, it was about focusing on the things that I could control rather than what was out of my control. I could have lifted personal bests, but if somebody else lifted a bit more, then then I was stuffed.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I, and that that's the thing about the doping issues. You know, when there is an athlete that's doping and just dominating, it can be demoralizing if you're focused on that athlete and not on your own performance, I think.
1: Yeah, completely. And I, that, I think when it comes to the doping issues, um, i, I got to be careful how, how I word this, but... It's about focusing on yourself and not getting drawn into what everybody else is doing. Uh, and more importantly, not being intimid- intimidated by your opposition. Okay. How how much do
0: you think... What do you think we're going to find out after these Europeans? Do you think there's going to be a lot of positives? Or are are the... You know, they, they banned Russia, Turkey, um, Bulgaria. Now those countries are back. But do you think they're coming back clean? Or, you know, cleaner?
1: I, again, I think I need to be careful what I say and how I um, answer this question. But I think the results probably speak for themselves. Mm. Where there is a significant drop in performance, that would indicate that those athletes are cleaning up uh, yeah. act act. Um, I don't want to say too much more, but, but I would hope that those countries, I'm not going to say they've learned their lesson. Only time will tell that. Uh, I and mean, I think based on the reputation that one or two of these nations have, they, they clearly haven't learned their uh, f- f- from the, the events of the past. Um, will this be enough of a deterrent? I think the fact that they've now been limited to how many athletes they are allowed to qualify for the next Olympic Games is massive. And I yeah. think that that has potentially given them a very serious reality check in terms of their future involvement within the sport and if that's not a wake-up call then i don't know what is
0: yeah because if you're not on the big stage then you know like i said it's demoralizing for those young lifters to think you know we can only send one person and it's not me you know it takes away from wanting to you know you said i think in one interview from the age of nine you wanted to be an olympian you said to your dad you know <laughs> yeah so that's that's a driving force and when when you don't think you can get there then it's you know
1: sure when that dream is taken away which it, it will have been for a number of lifters from those countries that have had those sanctions um imposed then then yeah i mean when, when the dream is not there when the goal is not there what does the lifter do um and, and you know, they, I say all they have to look forward to is, is continentals and world champs. Well, for some that may be enough, uh, but for others it, it doesn't uh, fulfill the desire that they have uh, from, a, from a sporting point of view.
0: And am I right about this? They've added something where in order to compete in the big competitions, you must compete six times and be tested in a calendar year. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Now, forgive me on this. The, trying to explain the qualification procedure. Uh, Is somewhat tricky, but if I if I can attempt to, um, I will. Uh, Please don't shoot me down now if I get any of this uh, slight slightly wrong.
0: (laughs) Don't Um, worry about it. I don't know myself, so. (laughs) So
1: let me try and explain this. There are three uh, periods of qualification. Um, The first of November last year um, until the end of this month, until the end of April. Then from the first of May till the thirty first of October, and then from the eleventh of November until the first of May next year so we've got three periods called trimesters Uh, and basically from my understanding these lifters who wish to be considered to compete at the Olympic Games have to compete six times over three trimesters at least once in each of those periods and quite simply their best result from each period plus their next best result so four competition results the points that they've achieved from those competitions will be added together uh, to give them a ranking and it's the top eight in the world uh, that get an automatic uh, qualification place Uh, the next four I think it's down to 12th place Uh, so there's another four then for each category that can can be selected and that will be based on continental results so for example if we look at a British lifter who's maybe ranked I don't know, 10th uh, in the world, well, they they missed automatic qualification by two. They then have to be top-ranked in their Continentals once you've taken those top eight out.
0: Okay, okay. I know that was a good explanation.
1: <laughs> Something along those lines, anyway. <laughs> and the yeah, formula, it's- they're, they're not using Sinclair anymore. They're using a, a Robbie formula. Um, and it, for a gold event which I believe is uh, world or continental um, at either senior or junior level um, it's your Robbie points at those events multiplied by 1.1 1. 1, to give you points if you're competing in a silver event um, and by silver I'm referring to a, a cup event normally where there's money involved um, mm-hmm. it's 1.05 multiplied by your Robbie score and if it's a bronze event uh, and bronze events are typically defined by being an open competition. Then it's simply, uh, one times your hobby score.
0: Mm. Yeah. That's, that's pretty complex. Yeah. But, uh, I guess it's good to be top eight. I think that's yeah. It. Top
1: eight, top eight in the world, one per country and, and you're in simple as that.
0: So let's talk about some of the lifting that you've been watching and commentating on who has really impressed you.
1: Uh, Rebecca Kohar always impresses um, simply because of the way she lifts I think she's a very likable character um, and that comes across on on TV um, and it comes across to the crowd she's good she she's good in terms of the way she moves there's a few things she could still improve on which is really exciting for the future but for me I like to watch lifters who who lift well technically well um, my my strength and my forte is is technique and that's what I pride myself on now as a coach. Um, so, so I like to see people lifting well and, and I'd say you can pick out pretty much any of the Germans um, and as much as I don't like what, what they have been doing, uh, I do like how the Russians lift. Um, mm. There's kind of two ways of lifting that to me are becoming more evident um, in terms of the difference. One is a lifter who tries to lift the bar high by using the upper body, and and they they end up swinging back and going into a big hyperextension in the lower back. Mm -hmm. And then you have the lifters who focus more on it being a leg drive and and, and pushing the floor away. Well, if you do that, then the bar will travel much closer to the body compared to the lifter that throws the shoulders back and tries using the upper body to to muscle it up. Um, So I prefer the lifters that are leg drivers um, and, and who have good technique
0: yeah she's she's really impressive to watch i mean the way that she i mean she just hits those lifts i mean it's i mean i guess i understand her disappointment because i've never see i rarely see her miss you know even from those like vid- videos she posts on instagram or um so and how about team gb you got to be happy yeah. there
1: oh, some fantastic results um we, we really have had some exciting competitions and and from where I'm at, you know I'm out of it now i'm I'm no longer a competing athlete, but it's wonderful to see not just one or two, but we've got a good handful now of of British lifters, particularly in the female department who are who have really stepped up and um I think the results from these european championships have have gone to the people that deserve it um I, I think it's as simple simple as that i mean you know we we have Emily Godley who's just won a silver medal. Um, that's huge, that's huge for Great Britain and she hasn't had the best run up into these championships but yet she's able to perform under pressure Um, likewise Zoe Smith performed under immense pressure and whilst these lifters uh, have, have really been chipping away over the last few years I think it's fair to say that in the last two or three years they've really stepped up and, and started to compete against each other. Um, you know, everybody wants that crown of being the number one lifter in, in their country. And uh, right now, I I, you know, I couldn't even tell you who's, who's top in terms of points and, and what have you. But But I think Zoe and Emily in particular have really flown the flag for Great Britain here at these championships.
0: Yeah, and, it, you know, watching them as well, like Zoe just seemed to really be enjoying it.
1: Yeah, and it's, it was a very interesting discussion I had between, between Sarah and, uh, and Zoe before they competed. Um, I just, you know, crossed paths just b- between their way in and, and, and the warm-up, and I spoke to both of them. I asked them exactly the same questions. But, yeah, the response I got was very, very different. And, you, you know, with, with Sarah, you've got a very, I'd say, uptight athlete, very focused, um, very driven, that, that much is clear but very much expecting the results to happen. Um, and then you've got Zoe, who, who was very much happy-go-lucky, chilled out, laid back, um, and, and her response was that she just wanted to enjoy the competition. And don't get me wrong, Zoe was extremely focused in what she was doing as well. But different athletes respond in different ways. And it's being able to bring your A-game and to find that little bit extra when the chips are down when when you're really under pressure and it was really nice to see how zoe responded to the pressure not just for medals at these european championships but with the pressure of sarah davis hot on her heels
0: yeah yeah i think uh, a little in-house competition is good
1: i think it's healthy um yeah. i think it's also important um that the respect is there um uh, between the athletes and. Uh, and that they can feed off each other they don't have to get on they don't have to uh be best mates they they don't have to train together but just knowing that there's somebody else there and when there's only one of them that could potentially qualify for an <laughs> olympic games in that category mm. this tension is going to build
0: yeah definitely definitely you won a bronze at the uh, europeans in 2003 i yeah. think yeah um what was that experience like for you were you enjoying the moment were you feeling too much pressure
1: <laughs> you know it's crazy how how things work it's crazy how medals pan out and i want to won that bronze medal at the 2003 europeans after subluxing my shoulder on the snatch um mm. a little bit crazy I, I had a pretty rough competition if i remember and um, the coaches um screwed up in the in the warm-up room um and i was left uh to, to start on my best lift, my best clean and jerk. Um yeah, thanks, coaches. That that was great. Um yeah, yeah. so so yeah, that put me under a lot of pressure. Um so I only got one clean and jerk in. I got my first and then couldn't stand with I think it was one fifteen I couldn't stand with. But yeah, to stand on that podium and, and fly the flag really is quite a special uh a special moment and I was fortunate to medal Uh, several other times at europeans but it was medals on the snatch medals on the clean and jerk and it wasn't quite the overall um but i guess what was frustrating i I remember 2004 having hit a seven and a half kilo personal best on the clean and jerk 120 kilos in the clean and jerk Mm -hmm. um, which wouldn't have been too far off what rebecca kohar was doing uh and i didn't even medal
0: yeah. I mean,
1: yeah, I came off the platform then and cried because Ugh. all I said to my coach was "Was was what have I got to do to get on that podium?
0: <sighs> yeah.
1: But that was when the competition was extremely tough. How has the competitions
0: changed in general, let's say the Europeans, since you were lifting? Um, I mean, it's uh, a base, a simple sport, right? You need a warm-up room. They're still using the paper. You know, I don't know why someone hasn't. I mean, I, I you could tell me this why don't they use some kind of application to competitions so they can change the way through the application? I mean, it seems like the paper system is a little old-fashioned. I don't know.
1: Um, Okay, so so we went to to record this interview yesterday, and what happened?
0: Uh, Okay, yeah, technical. Yeah,
1: yeah. And and we have tried, I think they have trialed the system. Um, I'm guessing there are things that need to change with it before it's properly implemented. Um, we tried it in the uk and it was an absolute shambles Uh, Uh, it didn't work it was slow it wasn't registering what you were saying you had to you had to select about seven or eight different things before you could change the weight for your lifter and it's way too long so i think they have tried it where they brought in tablets uh, and each athlete has their own tablet instead of a piece of paper but come on what's wrong with a piece of paper (laughs) black and white and and you can't go wrong with it what does it need to to move with the times yeah probably but until they find something that's better than pen and paper stick with what works is my view yeah it's just sometimes I I
0: can't I've seen competitions where like someone is running to make the change
1: that will happen anyway if you've got if you've got technology that will happen um that's that's down to to coaches either um not paying attention or um, other lifters, other coaches have, have made changes, which has caught somebody else off guard. Um, so that will happen regardless.
0: Yeah, there was something uh, that happened with the uh, Mirko, the Italian. He was coming out. He did a lift, and it looked like the two Italian coaches sort of went at each other. The the one was sort of saying to the other one, "Hey, come on!" Like he was made. He had made a mistake. I, I couldn't understand though what, what had happened. Oh,
1: I didn't. I didn't pick up on that. But but yeah, it could just be a, a simple coaching error and. The most common coaching error that we see, and this happened to me, Commonwealth Games, um, Simon Roach was a coach at the time, and, and just didn't change the weight in time. Basic rules, when the when your name is called and the clock is running, you've got to change your, your weight before the clock runs 30 seconds. Such a basic job for a coach to do, and yet they get carried away in the moment and lose concentration, uh, which is really, really disappointing. Um, for the lifter, when the lifter puts hours and hours into, um, you know, many, many sessions a week, many, many weeks, many, many months, many years of training, and the coach screws up on the most basic thing. How frustrating is that?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's one of those things. Um, what are you looking forward to? Any weight classes coming up you're particularly looking forward to seeing?
1: Um, do you know what? I'm going to say I'm going to say all of them for the simple reason that so far in these championships, not one category has disappointed. Every category has been competitive. And I really enjoyed last year's Europeans where the standards were all down, but it was far cleaner. So long as for me, so long as the competition is competitive, that's what I enjoy. Um, I, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of people are looking forward to seeing Russia in the men's supers. Um, a lot of people mm-hmm. are looking forward to seeing Lydia Valentin, um, who, who goes today. So I don't know. It's there's so many good lifters out there, world class lifters, um, and I just enjoy seeing a competitive group and lifting lifters lifting with good technique.
0: Yeah, I, I'm really enjoying these. I, I haven't been able to see as much as I would like, um, and it's a shame because you know when Turkey was banned from compete competition. The Eurosport, they just dropped it. We, I never saw weightlifting on TV. So now that they're back, it's kind of nice to be able to see it again. Um, but it just depends on my schedule. Um, sure. But yeah, I, I have to say I'm enjoying it. And, I, and I'm feeling like, as I'm watching more and more competitions, I, I can see the lifter that's doping. It, it's just something about their movement. And you know, people at the gym always come up to me, and I won't mention any names, but they show me a lifter. And I say, that's CGI lifting. That, that's not real. And they yeah. say, oh, no, come on, come on. And that, now we found out that lifter was doping the whole time, you know. So I, I hated that feeling of watching a competition and thinking, what's going to happen when we find out the truth kind of thing, if we can find out the truth. Yeah. But I, I think it's gotten better. I mean, you know, there was the Worlds in the U.S. and I, I think the testing was more rigorous Would they pull those countries out of there?
1: At the moment, though, the the drug testing is still run by the IWF, as far as I'm aware, in competition. Um, There is a big push at the moment, and and I hope I've got my facts right here, but there's a very big push at the moment to move the in-competition drug testing out of the hands of the IWF Mm -hmm. and have WADA administering it directly.
0: Right. At Uh, that that
1: point, there's complete transparency.
0: Yeah, because I mean, sometimes they do want to protect their stars.
1: Yeah, and I'm a little uh, sceptical of things at the moment still because it's not transparent. Um, and again, I've got to be careful what I say. But but you you don't have to be a rocket scientist to watch the TV and 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 see who who is abusing. Just the physicalities, particularly of some of the women. It's not right. It, it's it, it's blatantly obvious. Um, but, you know, each to their own until, until certain if there's a court, we can't speculate, as it were. Yeah, um, no. But it doesn't take a rocket scientist to to see who has abused.
0: And this brings up another point I, I wanted to talk to you about. Um, there's two sides to the issue of money, I think, in the sport. And we usually think about funding, and I want to talk to you about funding in a second. But a lot of these countries, you go to... The Olympics in the worlds, and you win a gold medal and you become taken care of for life let's say yeah. they they know that they're going to be financially okay mm-hmm. and so for them getting caught doping later is not going to bother them as much yeah uh, especially so in, those poorer countries like bulgaria maybe the the 90s when they were so i mean they were dominant
1: completely listen i i, I understand um I understand the incentives to dope when you explain it like that. And and um, it doesn't make it right. And the thing is, these athletes don't know any differently. So, again, I'm not going to mention any countries in particular, but there are countries out there who, as you've alluded to, if they win an Olympic gold, then they will be looked after for life. Not just them, their families as well. So for them, winning is is so important it's not an intrinsic drive to win it's a necessity to live and when the, when the incentive is so huge then these lifters are prepared to do anything to make the top of that podium regardless of what it takes whether they as a female athlete change physically in terms of their appearance the jaw broadens the voice deepens it's it's irrelevant because You know they've done that. They've achieved something for their families. Now, it's not right. Things will change, and it's taking time to implement these changes. But I'm I'm, again, I'm not going to say names or countries. But I have had a one-to-one discussion with an athlete that has beaten me at a championships, and I'm not going to say which championships. Mm -hmm. Who has openly told me that they take drugs but that it was okay because they had a uh, clean training camp in the build-up for that specific championships. Wow. But, and, they, and they thought, they genuinely thought that was okay. And yeah. I sat there with my, with my jaw wide open thinking, why have I not got this on dictaphone? Here's my evidence <laughs> this person's just admitted to it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that and that's the thing too, that that there may be a rationale for it, but it hurts people like you. It prevents you from getting the achievements that you, you know, genuinely should get. That's the other side of it.
1: And you look at the likes of Lydia Valentine, who's been promoted to Olympic champion, having not even had a moment on the podium.
0: Yeah, yeah, those kinds I mean, of things come as on. well. Yeah. What
1: could have been life changing for Lydia, the the sponsorship, the endorsements that you can potentially Attract or receive, having achieved an accolade like that, and she's potentially missed out on that because of cheats.
0: Yeah, yeah, that—that's. I, I, we could go on and on about this, but let's let's switch to funding. Let's let's switch. We've had enough. I I came across an article. uh, I think it was from 2017. You were talking, and you were upset that they cut funding for weightlifting in the UK. Um, in the U.S., we've had the same thing. There was a central training center in Colorado. And I think two years ago, they got rid of it. They said, we're not going to fund that anymore. Um, what do you think is, I mean, what's the situation like now in Great Britain or Wales? or?
1: Well, look, the bottom line is, what, why are these athletes doing the sport? If they're doing it for financial gain, if they're doing it for fame, if they're doing it for extrinsic... Reward, then you've got to question: Is that the right motivation? For me, as an athlete growing up, coming through the ranks, I went from being nothing to you know a school kid who who threw a few weights around to progressing through the ranks very gradually. And it wasn't until I was, um, I think, late teens, early twenties, that I was one. I was the only athlete in Great Britain to be funded, and that that was neat. That was incredible. You know, It, it meant that. Um, I still worked because the security of the funding wasn't long-term, um, but it meant that the financial burden, the pressure, was was off. It meant that if I needed treatment, I could get treatment. It meant that if I needed to go to a competition, I knew I could afford it. And and, and that was brilliant. But later in my career, when I wasn't hitting specific targets and, and my performances started to drop off a little bit, my funding was cut. Hmm. And I heard the performance director at the time say that that's it, she'll be finished now. Hell no. Uh. Hell no. I wasn't doing it for money. I wasn't doing it for external reward. I was doing it because I wanted to do it, because I wanted to see how far I could push myself. Now, if you look at the the lifters in Britain, um, those who are performing on the international stage will continue to do so, whether there's funding there or not because on the whole they are driven and self-motivated athletes the the money's irrelevant it helps when you've got the support it helps when you've got a few quid in your pocket it means you don't have to work as as much so you can focus more on training so it would be a whole lot easier but my view is that if an athlete is self-driven and intrinsically motivated then it doesn't matter yes it helps and it can help quite significantly, but it's not the end of the world. Um, and, and I've got an athlete who's doing very well in, in, in Britain who's coming through the ranks, uh, and she knows that the funding may not be there, but she's doing it because she wants to, uh, and she's got personal, uh, personal goals to achieve.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's having the drive within is always, I think, better uh, in the long run. Um, because I, I think you will enjoy it as uh, the experience of it as well. The competitions, everything more, the training, yeah. um, because it's coming from you, you know. Um, so what else have you got going on? You're, you just mentioned about your coaching. Uh, your coaching center is in Wales, is that correct?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, so I live in the middle of nowhere on a mountain in uh, near Swansea. Um, and uh, at the moment, I'm I'm busy coaching. I have my own squad of lifters. Um, we've got a slightly bigger space now so um, so I can accommodate a few more. So if you're living in that area, do get in touch if you're keen. Um, but but I'm also getting involved more and more coaching people who just want to improve. So I run training camps now um, whereby we invite up to about 10 people to, to come and live with us um, for, for a weekend. So three-day or six-day camps. Um, and people literally, they, they move in. They come and live in, in, in our home. Um, we cooks? We, we, we feed them. Um, <laughs> Sinead does a lot of the cooking. But, yeah, we, we provide the food. We provide the accommodation. We provide um, a, a world-class training facility with, with, with top equipment, a LICO equipment all the way. Ah, nice. Um, and, and, yeah, so, so basically people come and live with us and, and, they, and they train under my guidance. Um, and we spend those sessions trying to help people progress technically. So I'm not interested in egos. I'm not interested in who can lift the most. I'm, I'm done with that. Now, it, for me, it's about trying to help people progress on a personal level. So some people come to me having certain restrictions and limitations, for example, I can't seem to drop under the weight quick enough, or uh, I, I'm struggling to get to grips with a snatch, or every time I jerk, it goes forward. And, and to me, those those problems are are easy to fix. Um, So they come and they spend the first session, we we give a thorough technical breakdown and analysis of of the snatch, the clean and the jerk. I then show them how they should be moving, uh, but more importantly, give one-to-one feedback in terms of how they can improve on a personal level. Uh, And by the end of the training camp, um, quite often, I I can't get rid of them. (laughs) They (laughs) want to stay and and, and train, which is why we now offer six-day camps as well.
0: Wow, that that sounds great. I, I, I would love to take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. Um, because I know I've got a lot to learn.
1: (laughs) Well, you're you're more than welcome to come and join us. But anybody who is interested, um, check out my website, um, which has just been revamped um, and is looking a lot better now, Uh, much easier to navigate. Um, Yeah, my website is www.powerposition.co.uk, or just drop me an email direct, Breeze at hotmail.com. Um, we can hook up a, a call i don't like to just give out too much info. I like to speak to people before they come because I want to find out what their goals are and make sure the camps are right for them plus i'm inviting people into our home, so I want to kind of get a feel for coming
0: <laughs> of course, yeah, that is
1: a little bit yeah um, and I believe you're writing a book, yeah, so um so you know i've got a whole stack of knowledge and I get asked so many questions and, and so, so many people over the years have said to me, why don't you put this into a book? And, and to be quite honest, I haven't had time, but, but now with the help and the support and, and guidance uh, and writing skills of, of Dan Kent, um, together we're, we're collaborating on a book, um, which is going to be released in um, August. Um, I hit the road in August on the second leg of our Team Breeze on Tour road trip around the UK. Now I'm heading up towards Scotland spending a bit of time delivering seminars in and around that area um so yeah i'm hoping to have a load of books with me uh, i will be taking pre-orders so watch this space i'm going to be promoting it through instagram and facebook um so if you're keen uh, then drop us a message and i'll start getting a list together and um yeah we'll be doing pre-orders fairly soon uh, the book is going to tell a bit of my story my journey how i got involved in the sport some of the um uh, the challenges I've faced on the way the ups and the downs uh, how I've changed technique and and also about my coaching philosophy um, we're going to be looking very much as well at doping in sport, a bit of nutrition um, how a lifter should prepare for competitions we're going to be covering a whole load of different areas um, which I'm hoping will make an interesting read um, and the title of the book <laughs> it's not a fecking pull <laughs> yes And why isn't it? Okay, so (laughs) it's always been called a pull, isn't it? You know, you're in the start position, you come off the floor. That's always been called the first pull. The bar comes past the knees. It's always been called a second pull. Well, I just ask those that are listening at the moment to, to consider from the floor, what are we doing? We're tightening up with the back. We're pushing with the legs. The arms stay long, loose. So where's the pull? As simple as that. All we're doing from the floor is is pushing positively with the legs. We're pushing the floor away. As a result, the knees come back. The angle of the back stays the same. The arms stay long and loose. So how can that be called a pull? Unless you're looking at the quadriceps and the glutes contracting and pulling on certain bones. In that context, yes, the quadriceps and and the glutes are pulling. But it's not a pull in in the way that most people interpret it. And if you're coaching a beginner and call it, oh, this is the first pull, what's the first thing they're going to do when they come off the floor?
0: Yeah, you get a pull with your arms.
1: And you wonder why we've got so many technical issues. So yeah, I'm trying to challenge I... the mindset and the terminology that's being used. And just because it's always been called a pull doesn't mean we can't change it.
0: No, I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, you, you've got a lot of people are going to say oh, come on, you know, you can't change that terminology. But I think you're right. I mean, the way you explain it, you're right. So, um and I think you're right. I think with the newer people, I mean, you know, CrossFit, so many people are doing weightlifting type snatch, clean and jerk. And that's where I do most of my coaching is through local CrossFit. And God, dude, this, that's exactly what they do. They just yep. use their upper body, use their arms. And I try to explain to them, it, you know, you you want to bring your hips into it, you know, you're not really. Um, so I, I like that actually. I I think, uh, I think I might try to change my terminology. There we you, are. Well, you, you've converted book.
1: me. <laughs> well, I'm hoping the book will challenge the way that we interpret the lift as uh, from a technical point of view, because it's my view that things have changed, things have evolved in terms of the way people are lifting. And that has been over the last 10 to 15 years. And I think there's very subtle changes in the technique. But it's quite simply a switch from trying to lift with the upper body to being more explosive and more powerful with the legs. Um, and, and as a result, I think the terminology should should keep up. Uh, but don't get me wrong, there's a lot of coaches out there that are still coaching to pull. Well, crack on and, and keep doing what you're doing. Um, I guess not everybody is going to be the same, and, and that's fine as well. This is just my view and my opinion.
0: Okay, super. Uh, so you got a lot of things going on. That sounds interesting. Anything else? You're going to finish up at the Europeans, and then you yeah. said you're going to do some sort of little tour of
1: Yeah, so I'm, I'm back from the Europeans on Sunday. Uh, I think we've got four training camps in fairly quick su- uh, succession. Um, I've got a... I've got, uh i'm going to share this because i think i think this is important for other people to to take on board um i turned 40 on the 17th of may um which i think is only about four and a half five weeks away it's not long and about a week week and a half ago i had a bit of a reality check and i thought oh my goodness i'm i'm turning 40 i need to i need something to aim for and just just like that i said right three goals First one, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to 59 kilos in body weight. Um, I, I didn't realize I was actually 64 at the time. So, uh-huh. uh, so yeah, I'm aiming for a, for a 5 kilo body weight cut. Uh, and I, I want to snatch 80. I want to clean and jerk 100. Simple as that um, at the age of 40. Uh, I don't think I'm going to have time in my crazy schedule to enter a masters comp uh, if I can hit those kind of weights. They they potentially could be world masters records, but I'm not. I just don't think I've got time to to travel to to compete as well. So there's my goals for the middle of May, um, and then yeah, we come into the summer. We've got a couple more camps, and then into the summer we're heading uh, heading north. So from South Wales heading. Uh, across to Newcastle kind of area I've got a few uh, seminars and stops booked in then and then on up to Scotland um, and we're actually heading up for a wedding so that's a priority but yeah busy year um, I'm, I've taken so many bookings this year that I'm I'm pretty much fully booked now until the end of November um, so if there are any gyms that are interested in running a seminar uh, drop me an email or check out my website um, It's powerposition.co.uk uh, and, uh, and yeah, drop me a message, but you'll have to plan quite a way in, a, in advance.
0: Okay. Excellent. And I guess your partner Sinead is rugby sevens.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Rugby sevens. So Sinead competed, um, at the Commonwealth games at the Gold Coast, uh, last year, um, in rugby sevens. Um, she's like a whippet. Crikey. She's quick off the mark. Um, but at the moment, just taking a bit of t- downtime to, to rehab a knee injury from last year. So uh, no pressure on her this season at the moment. So it's nice actually to be enjoying life together for, for once.
0: And congratulations on the Six Nations.
1: Thank you. That was a great result. I could take no credit whatsoever. But uh, <laughs> our guys put in a, a, a brilliant performance. Um, and it just shows that when you've got a good team around you, what can be achieved?
0: Well, Michaela, I I know you've got some commentating to do and you've got to get to the uh, lifting hall. So I'm going to let you go. Uh, Normally when I have a new person on, I get more into their um, career as a lifter, how they got started, the different competitions. So I'd love to have you back to talk about that. I would love to have you back to talk about technique, coaching. um, So we hope to have you back on the show. Great stuff. I look forward to it. And thank you ever so much for having me. Okay, have a great night. I I look forward to hearing you on Eurosport. Thank you, David. Okay, see you. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye.